The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, including a verse from last week. So I'm going to read the two verses at center. So verse 22 of chapter 16, it says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And again, down to verse 33, it says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The words that Jesus gave to his disciples were words that they definitely would need to hear. These are words that they heard on the, e the night that he would be betrayed. So it is within that next 24 hours that their life would be turned to sorrow and mourning and grief. They would, be, they would go with Jesus to that hill where he would pray. He would pray in such anguish and anxiety that his sweat would become like great drops of blood. Then, while they were there, they would see one of their close friends, one of the fellow apostles, Judas, come there. The one who had just been at the table earlier that evening with them. The one who left unexpectedly early, somewhat suspiciously. And they'd see why he had left early. Because he'd be returning with a battalion of guards to betray Jesus with a kiss. They'd watch as Jesus is led away. Many of them were scattered. They did get scattered. They ran off. They were not together. John would follow. Peter would eventually rejoin, kind of be following as well later, or at least for a portion of it. But they would witness as they would spit upon him, as they would mock him, as they would throw accusations against him which were inconsistent and shown to be lies. They would watch as he was eventually led away to be crucified. They would watch John in particular, the one who was writing that, those words of Jesus, would watch as Jesus died. And they would spend that time in the upper room wondering what is going to happen. Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, the Christ, and he was dead. So they were grieving. They were sorrowful. And that sorrow would turn to joy. As they would come, as later that, on that Sunday morning, the women would come and see the tomb is empty. Their first inclination is to think that the body was stolen, that somebody took it. But later that evening, Jesus would show up right in the very room that they were in, and he'd be shown risen. And after multiple appearances, they would come to realize and believe that Jesus had conquered death. He had risen from the dead. Their joy had come. They had joy. But they didn't quite yet understand what was going on. They're still a bit confused. In fact, this gets evidenced if... On Ascension Day, when you hear in the text, you'll actually hear Jesus, the disciples will ask Jesus, Lord, will you restore your kingdom to Israel now? Which that's them saying, after seeing everything Jesus has done, they're like, 
oh, you're going to make us, you're going to make Israel conquer the Romans and we'll have an awesome, awesome king and awesome earthly government. Which, you know, I don't know if there's a director's cut of Ascension Day, but I feel like there should be like a face palm moment from Jesus. Like, you've been through this all and you haven't figured out what's going on. This is not about the earthly kingdom. But anyways, he ascends into heaven. And there they are, left behind, looking up like, wait, what? Where'd he go? What are we going to do without Jesus? Well, he told them, stay in Jerusalem. They stayed there for 10 days. And then, as like tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And Peter could not help but speak. He stood up tall. You know, the Peter that denied that he even knew who Jesus was stood tall and proclaimed that this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made him Lord. And, Jesus, and he told them, call upon the name of the Lord. Who is, what's the name of the Lord? It's Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh. He is the Lord. Call upon him and you will be saved. 3,000 people were cut, came to salvation that day. And then later that day, and then later, as that day would come to a conclusion, we were actually reading out this, from this text at Theology at the Hut, which any of you are welcome to attend. But when we were at Pizza Hut, we, were, we read this text. The first time they got thrown into jail in the book of Acts. They got thrown into jail for healing a man. And they're supposed, well, they weren't really thrown into jail for that. They're thrown in jail because they said it was on account of this Jesus whom they crucified. And then when they were let go, they said, all right, you could go, you could go about your way, go about your business. Just don't say any more about this Jesus. And the disciples said, we can't help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And they went about preaching the gospel, knowing the fate that would be in store for them. If you read in Acts chapter 7, you would see the first very physical fate. As Stephen was stoned to death. And that was the beginning of many persecutions. See, the people to whom Jesus said these words in John, every single one of them, except for, ironically, the guy who's writing John, every single one of them would face a martyr's death. Every single one of them would be faced with the choice, say that Jesus did not rise from the dead and you will live, or keep confessing it and be put to death. And again, they could not help but speak of what they had seen and heard. And note, seen. They saw the risen Lord and they could not help but speak of it. And all with the exception of the Apostle John was put to death. And so was Paul. So was other followers, such as Matthias. John himself was thrown on a prison island. Because for whatever, because miraculously, historic legend has it that they could not kill John. They actually threw him into a cauldron of burning oil. And for him, it was just a hot bath. Which might be a tie to what Jesus said. If it is for me that he lives until I return, what is that to you? Which that's all of John's gospel too. 
but eventually he would die of old age while hearing of his friends die. They would definitely need to remember those words. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. You would have sorrow, but it would turn to joy. A joy that cannot be taken away. The joy of seeing Jesus risen from the dead, nothing could take it from them. Not even the threat of death, not even death itself could take that joy away from them. So come to our world, our day. Guessing most of you realize that Monday is a holiday. It's Memorial Day. I want you to think about something here. Many people are going to be celebrating that holiday, and rightfully so. But think about that. You go out to like, if you go out to Cobb Park, or maybe you go up to Holstein and you have that old line of flags. I haven't been up to Holstein yet this weekend. But there's that whole line of flags right off 20, which is always, I think that's kind of cool. You look at those flags. You look at those stars, the stripes. You can't but help but think of the freedoms that we so dearly cherish in this country. And actually, probably, actually we take for granted horribly. I mean, think about this. We are, this is a pretty good-sized building, right? One of the bigger buildings in town. We have, a, we have an electric sign right outside that says, St. Paul Lutheran Church. And on it, it will tell you when the worship times are. And if, you don't, if that doesn't help, you can find it on Facebook. You can find it on, wet, on the internet. You can find it in the newspaper. There is no secret as to when our church services are. Granted, some people might get confused tomorrow with the summertime change. But otherwise, we pretty much know when it's going to be. And yet none of us are sitting here thinking, you know, I think at any minute our deputies are going to break down that door or our soldiers are going to break down that door, put a gun to our head and tell us, stop worshiping this Jesus or die. Do any of us have that fear? It doesn't even dawn on us. Do you realize there are people all around this world that that is their exact fear? They can't bid and worship in a building like this. They have to worship in houses. They have to worship in caves. They have to worship in the dead of the night so that no one knows where they're at. Out of fear that it would be bombed. Which I know if you saw that on Easter Sunday, when we worship freely here, Sri Lanka, there were bombings. None of us are even the least bit afraid of that. Yet when you look at that flag, you see you can't help but be mindful of the documents that sealed the freedom that we have to worship. And when you look at this, the, memor- the veteran memorial, or even the fact that we have flags for every veteran, and Memorial Day in particular, you can't help but think of those who had to die to protect that, all the way from the American Revolution, which for some reason we forget that that was an American war. We seem to always remember those who died within our lifetime and forget it began somewhere. It began in 1776, actually even before that. 
People had to die. There are families who had to live without their loved ones. Their people had to watch war on their own porch in the revolution. Those soldiers fought for the freedom of our nation and even the freedom of others. Think of the Civil War, World War II, the end of the bringing end to the Holocaust. But here's the other side of Memorial Day. Think about that. You think you're probably wondering, like, okay, what does this have to do with that text? He said you'll have tribulation. Did you notice what I said? There, when I talked about soldiers dying, what does that mean? That means there's war. That means people do die in combat. It means that we have lost, that our nation, and not only our nation, every nation in the history of the world has seen the death of its young men and women in combat. When you look at the, consider the freedoms that we have, it is also a reminder that there are indeed people who do gather places where they can't, are not in freedom. It is in the fact that we have, we have a constitution. See, we have to write it out that we have the, you have these free, these freedoms are written out. Why, do, why are these laws written out? Because if not, somebody will try to take it from you. And you know what? You may, now, if you're like me, you may never, many of us have never served. Do you know what our, your job is? To be educated? To be vigilant? To stand for the freedoms? To actually know something and be able to speak about it? Because nothing empowers a tyrant more than ignorance. The reality is, is they faced tribulation because of the fact that they were Christian. We can never be so naive to believe that that would never happen to us. To believe that never in this country persecution would come. Because if we believe that, it will never happen it will most likely happen. Because that means we're sitting back and doing nothing to make sure it doesn't happen. Here's the reality. In the United States, and I've mentioned this statistic to others, do you know what is, I don't know if you realize this, but according to recent data, if statistics, the trends continue the way it is, it will not be long before Christianity is not the major religion in the United States. Now, many people think, oh, Islam's going to overtake it. That's not what the data says. Islam has a long ways to go. Islam's only like 3% of the population. It is really tiny. Rather, it is the religious nuns. Not N-U-N-S. N-O-N-E-S. The atheists, the agnostics, the non-religiously affiliated. 25% of the U.S. population is in that group. To give you perspective, the Roman Catholic Church is the largest Christian denomination. It is 23% of the population. That means there are more religious, non-religious individuals in the United States than there is Roman Catholic or any other Christian denomination in the United States. 
and they are growing rapidly. They are going to dwarf the Christian population, which is why the book of Acts is so important, because it will not be long before we are in a world very similar to theirs, where Christianity is a minority. Even in this, our own county, do you realize if you were to take five completely random people, it was, it was you and four completely random other people from Ida County, and you all went together to Zimmy's to eat lunch or breakfast or whatever, supper tonight, if you all sat there, you will be the only person that was in church this weekend, statistically speaking. 20% is the average worship attendance in our county. Do you think that that secular world is not coming to, our, to where we live? It is. And the secular world has never been friendly to Christianity. And you may one day be faced with that question. You, and maybe you've already in some degree have been faced it. The choice between your faith and your wealth, faith and your job, faith and all the luxuries in your life, choosing between Christ and your friends, choosing between Christ and your family, choosing between Christ and all the things you enjoy in your life, choosing between Christ, and here's something we have to be ready for, Someday we may even have to face the question. Hopefully not. But in some of our younger lifetimes it might happen where you may have to choose between Christ and your nation. What is your answer going to be? That is why what Jesus said is so important. Because he did not say there might be persecution in this world. He says there will be. There will be tribulation. And if you, are a, if you confess and speak of Christ boldly in your life, the louder you speak of it, even in a town that, granted, we're 20% church attendance, the actual percentage of the population that's Christian is like 80, 80 or 90% it claims to be, identifies as Christian. But I guarantee it that if you talked about your faith as, as often as you talk about your favorite sports team, your favorite musician, about, about farming or golfing or whatever your hobby is, people would start to get annoyed with you and say, stop talking about that. There's other stuff that we don't need to hear about that. You already are faced with the challenge to keep silence. Every single one of us. See, me, I could probably get away with a little because I'm the pastor. Like, oh, the pastor talks about it. But if you talk about it, like, ah. you know, they had back in the 90s, the term was Jesus freak. Or they hear Bible thumper. You'll get accused of something. But nonetheless, what if we were like the disciples and realize you hear the gospel every day? You get to hear it in freedom. While there are people in this world who hear it at the threat of death, you get to hear that Christ has claimed you as his child in the waters of baptism. You get to hear the promise that no matter how great the tribulation in this world may be, remember, take heart, you have peace 
in the sacrament of baptism. You have peace in the Lord's Supper, which is why we say the peace of the Lord be with you always. You have peace in his word. And Christ has overcome the world. He overcame sin, death, and the devil. He overcame the world. He overcame death itself so that you would overcome the world. Nothing the world could throw at you can ever take you down completely. That's why I love Luther's quote. He says, don't worry if, the de- if somebody could cut your head off because I know somebody could grow it right back. Not, I don't know if it'll be instantly like a, like a lizard or something. Possibly, I'm not going to rule that out. But somehow or another, it's going to come back. That is the promise. He has overcome death. He has overcome the devil. And so shall all who he has chosen and claimed as his children. All who confess his name. So till the day comes... When all tribulation has been overcome and we enjoy, did you hear those words out of Revelation 21? You hear that image of what we have in wait? Streets of, you know, the streets of gold, which I would not recommend doing that in modern real life, you know, modern earth, paving the streets in gold because that's kind of slippery. But that world is what is in store for you. You have a mansion waiting for you. So rejoice, be glad in the salvation, the joy that nothing in the world could take from you. And declare it, speak it, proclaim it. Because you know what? Memorial Day weekend, you want to know a great way to celebrate your freedoms? Yes, have a meal, grill some hot dogs, but you don't have to be an American to do that. They make some mighty good broths all over the, in many countries. In fact, there's some countries that make even possibly better food than us Americans. Let's face it, sometimes it's true. But you want to know a great way to celebrate Memorial Day? Tell someone about Jesus. Tell a soul, a veteran about Jesus. You ever notice if you go to Arlington Cemetery, what do they decorate their, their tombstones with? A cross. Because in death, there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Till the day of his coming, to him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. We continue with the singing of the hymn, and as the hymn is sung, we will gather our offering.